Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Alex Yehangir. He is an orthopedic trauma surgeon. Alex, thanks for joining me today. Hey, so great to be with you today. Thank you. So, um, as I do with all of my guests, we're going to get into the details. Uh, this particular story takes an unusual turn, given your backdrop, but I think it's important to set the context. Tell us a little bit about how you arrived at this point in your career. Well, uh, you know, I'm an orthopedic trauma surgeon, right? So I've for nearly 20 years have focused on fixing broken bones. Um, when the COVID pandemic happened, I um, ended up being the chair of the board of health for Nashville, Tennessee. And let's be honest, who the heck would have knew that Nashville had a board of health, much less who the chair was. But on March 7th, 2020, when Nashville's first COVID case um, presented, I was that person. At the same moment, we also didn't have a director of health. And so I ended up becoming um, asked by the mayor to kind of help lead the city's response to the pandemic. So a little bit by happenstance, but that at the end of the day, that's kind of how a lot of interesting opportunities present. So you were there as the, the board chair. How did you arrive at that point? Was that something that had just happened because of the work that you were doing in, in orthopedic trauma uh, surgery? Yeah. You know, I, so my story is, you know, I grew up, I was born in Iran and my family, when I was six years old, moved from Tehran to Nashville, Tennessee. Um, at that point, you know, the community of Nashville really took my brother and me and my family in. Um, we got our our dental care at the health department, got vaccines, um, learned English and all of that. So when I had the opportunity to return back after all my training um, for medicine um, back to Nashville in 2009, I really, really wanted to get involved in the community. So I started doing work in the community. My trauma background really gave me an insight really to look at issues such as gun violence. Through some work around that, um, I think the mayor of Nashville got to know who I was. And when there was an opening on the Board of Health, um, she appointed me to it. Again, very atypical because the person I replaced was a well-known public health expert. Um, and so my job for the next many years, to, at least to myself, was just to learn about the world of public health, especially in the city. Happenstance had it, the chair position to open up a couple of years later. And, it, and at that point, the number one job for the chair was to hire a new director of health. And I, through my day job, had a lot of experience hiring executives. And that's how I got put as chair. And that's how I ended up being there. You know, it's it, it's really interesting. We, we often find, you know, doors open in front of us. Not everybody walks through. In this case, you walk through through a little bit of context and history that found you in uh, this part of the country um, wanting to return service. You, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll state for, for everybody listening, I, I think, Almost every physician I know is there trying to deliver the best possible care to their patients in a variety of ways, depending on the specialty. But we all come at this with, you know, very similar intent. You found yourself in this unusual position, obviously still practicing orthopedic surgery, although I imagine that practice sort of disappeared a little bit. Um, believe it or not, no, I stayed in this call schedule throughout the entire pandemic response. 
No, I, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that you didn't uh, stop contributing, but I imagine that the patient numbers fell off a little bit or not, no? Not really. Really? Of, yeah, by the nature of what I did, trauma happens. And, you know, while my partners did help some, um, a, a fair amount, I stayed as much as I could, and the numbers stayed about the same. Um, wow. So I had a, my, my family took the big, big brunt of it, if you want the truth. Right. Yeah, because you had to divide even less time up. And yeah. it's, uh, I think we all find that with our families. They tend to be the ones that yeah. uh, have to give up more than others. Um, so the pandemic hits, I think, you know, there was, I, I, I want to call it a slow rollout of, of uh, just a sense this is a problem to, and then suddenly there was a, a, a line drawn in the sand around the country and things shut down. You're now... Uh, assigned to the COVID task force in your specific uh, area. Tell us a little bit about that decision and what happened through that experience. Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, I, I think you said it so well, I think for months, many people all over the world. And I know in our, our area here, we would, we kept watching this um, COVID infection kind of go around and then all of a sudden, and we, and each little hospital system here in Nashville had a plan and, the public health department had a little plan, but really it wasn't until that very first patient went all of a sudden everyone was like, oh my God, this thing is going to be so much bigger than a isolated silo response. And so I quickly began because of my role as board of health chair, but also because I, the new director who was starting two days after the first case was from New York, didn't know the city. I quickly used my connections to bring a lot of people together, um, hospital CEOs, state leaders, city leaders. And through that, we started developing a coordinated city response. But but again, by the end of the week, the mayor of Nashville um, realized that he needed an all-in-government response and somebody to lead it. And, and he asked me to take that role. Um, fun, interesting fact is in the city at that time, the only person in the state in Tennessee at that time, the only person to declare a public health emergency was the chair of the Board of Health. So not the mayor, not any other entity, not the director of health. And so on that Sunday, when it became a week after the first case, when it became a reality that um, Nashville was was still booming and and there's a lot of people going out and the tourism in Nashville does so well, we decided we decided that we need something needed to be done. And other cities are already started doing capacity restrictions and so forth. And so the first time that the uh, public health emergency was declared in the city happened that week, and my signature is the one on it. And I think at, at for me. Again, if my objective is what do I do to help my community, which is the whole reason I moved back to the city after uh, finished my training, this became the most obvious thing to do at that moment. Um, and so that led to almost two year, solid years of, of leading the city's task force, which involved everything from setting up testing sites that tested hundreds of thousands of people and vaccinated about 50,000 people to the capacity um, restrictions and other mask mandates and working with businesses and hospital systems and actually setting up a transfer center that kept 700 Nashvillians local during the Omicron storm instead of having to ship them to other hospitals around the country. It all started at the end of the day, like you said, by by picking up a phone and saying yes to a random opportunity I never saw coming. So I, I don't think I need you to answer this. I'm going to answer it for you. I, I, I imagine you had no hesitation when you were asked. I mean, there's obviously some personal impact this had on the family, but, you, you know, you, you saw it as that opportunity. But in hindsight, looking back now, 
what I, I mean, if I'm wrong, please tell me, but what would you wish you'd known at that point in time going forward? I mean, I don't imagine it would change your decision, but I'm sure there are things that you've learned along the way that you go, hmm, wish I'd had that. Yeah, you know, I think um, there's so much, right, as you as you <laughs> so stated. Um, part of it is, is, is uh, I'd never been in public service. I'd never been in a public life. I, you know, I, I now subsequently have done hundreds of media appearances and press conferences and so forth. And I tell you that for this reason, um, there are a lot of great people in this community um, that 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 stepped up. People will never recognize. Um, who did a lot of good in the city. I also saw some who wouldn't. And what, I guess what I wish I had known is that, that I guess in every situation, there's people who are like that. And, and sometimes one has to be a little bit more deliberative in who you interact with, who you bring into the fold, and really look at people's motivations. But man, there were some amazing people who I worked with. Um, I also wish I knew then that, um, and we figured this out pretty quickly, that that really every community's response was every community's response in isolation. There was no unified message. And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody smarter than me to give, give a plan of how we can get through this. And if we had known that at the time, I think we would have messaged that a little bit more clearly that, look, there's not going to be clear answers. There's going to be some confusion, but here's what the science, the experts and um, tell us. And here's my commitment to be transparent with you, which is what I, I tried to do throughout the entire pandemic um, with the public. So I, I think I, as I interpret that, uh, you know, for me, it reminds me a lot of, you know, when you've seen one EMR, you've seen one EMR. Uh, and that was true with the pandemic, albeit it was the same virus or mutating lots of times. But um, and I think we were all taken a little bit by surprise, expecting much more. And it became a sort of a, a labor for each of these individual groups. You're thrown into this. Let's be honest, you're an orthopedic surgeon. How did that come across? Because it's not, you turn around, you go, all right, we've got to be a public health, but no, we've got an orthopedic surgeon doing this. How, how did that play out? So, you know, um, yeah. So I, I think here's, here's my message. So I am an orthopedic surgeon. I'm specifically an orthopedic trauma surgeon at a level one trauma center. I, I lead the lead the orthopedic trauma division. I actually lead the entire trauma service line. I think actually, if if you may, I'd say that people that I my success in leading this pandemic, and I do think our city had a successful response compared to a lot of people, a lot of places, happened because as a trauma surgeon, I'm comfortable making decisions with that the unknown. Um, I'm comfortable like an emergency room physician of sometimes. Um, knowing you made the wrong decision and correcting course fast, or knowing that your decision, even though you don't have it all the information, um, can lead to serious implications, and also knowing how to make decisions quickly and, and taking charge, and feeling comfortable, just like an emergency physician, of when you don't know something, to quickly bring in experts to help you, right? And if I'm operating on a pelvis and so, the bladder's rupture, I'm calling a urologist right away. I think people trained in public health, and not everyone, I don't want to generalize in generally, but a lot of people are trained in public health and epidemiology. It's definitely a more thoughtful approach to to, to every situation, right? You think about the implications, you bring in groups to think through things. 
I believe as a trauma surgeon and my ability to man to manage a crisis, that is the skill set we needed at that moment. And that's why I believe I had the success that we did. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I think, you know, and would I be the first to tell you I'm a public, public health or epidemiologist or infectious disease expert? No. But I tell you, I sure as heck had access to a lot of good ones who I could think quickly with. Absolutely. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the Incrim Gonfalist. Uh, today I'm talking to Dr. Alex Jahangir. He is a orthopedic trauma surgeon. We were just talking about the response and, you know, I think importantly, the preparation that working in a level one trauma center that takes literally, you are the, uh, the as they talk about, the buck stops here. That's where those serious cases end up. They end up with, you know, as you described, little information typically coming in. We add to that. We change course, change direction. And I think as I'm listening to you, one of the key uh, assets that you brought to bear on this was, uh, number one, a network of people that you had developed over the course of time. And that's also within the hospital, I imagine, that, you know, contributed um, that allowed you to draw upon the resources that helped guide you. So you, in many respects, would it be fair to describe you as the conductor versus the, the, the driver of the engine? Oh, absolutely. I think um, the conductor is, is a great um, description because the people who drove it, you know, when I took this role, the mayor was very um, clear that he wanted experts and science to lead it and with transparency. And, and I think the conductor is the one that, that helps bring the right players into the room. So when we were talking about um, how to create a drive-through testing centers, I brought process engineers and, and hospital operations people to help me design that. When we were talking about um, business reopening capacity, we brought business leaders and hospitality industry leaders um, in. When we were talking about um, how do we make sure our hospitals stay open, we brought hospitals leader in. The one constant in all of that frankly, was was me and, and a small team of people that I work with. Um, and we're, again, we're in a community that has an amazing national as a healthcare, you know, city. There's a lot of great um, healthcare companies and experts uh, from HCA. I mean, HCA's corporate headquarters are here. So very kind that that the people, they would allow us to tap into Vanderbilt, where I, I work, and um, Ascension, not to mention all other things. We had a lot of experts. And again, I think Conductor is a great um, describer of, of what we did. Let's move forward. So uh, you've, you've let's call it settled in, although I, I can't imagine you ever settled quite into this role. Um, you're dealing with multiple um, elements that are probably resisting many of the things that you describe, certainly based on the experience that I had. You sort of, you, you to me, seem a little bit like a lightning rod in all of this that would attract an awful lot of uh uh, negative response was a lot of that going on and how did you weather that what were your sort of your coping mechanisms you know short answer is yeah there was a lot of that going on and it's really an unfortunate reality of what happened in fact funny enough even as early as this morning there was some hatred on social media and then we're thinking about how far out we are it's kind of blows my mind still here's the thing i think what i found um was there's three reasons for this lightning rod one was the people who I describe as, um, you know, people were hurt. I had one person come up to me and, you know, they're, they're, they're photog he was a photographer. His wife's a catering business. I mean, their business was devastated. I mean, and they devastated. I feel so terrible for them, right? And, and they 
those people, I think, would you know, I, I understood their pain and they saw me as their as the reason for it. And, I, and I, while I I wasn't, I understood. Then there were those people who I call fanatics. I had a person come up to me, sneak into where we did our press conferences, and hand me a package and said he was a messenger from the Lord. And um, and those people are the ones that really scared me, right? Because they they believed into this the uh, the crazy stuff that was being spun out there and it shows how power of persuasion and and when in the vacuum of leadership how fanatical people can get and those people i worry a lot about and then third there was the people who are entitled who frankly didn't care about the community and and those people are out there too and 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 all of those that hatred was again i was the face of it right i for better or for worse i became the face of this pandemic here in, in this region um the way i dealt with it was first of all I told myself I didn't care, right? But but I think if we're being honest with ourselves, that's not true. Everybody cares. You know, I was a kid. As a kid, I was bullied a lot in middle school and elementary school. I was a kid from a funny country with a funny name. I led, I felt that my goal, my North Star was always transparency, um, expert leadership, or experts guiding, and then, and then science driving. And I felt that if every decision was made with that in mind, I was comfortable with the decision. The thing that was really interesting to me and was sad is the people that really did care, though, were my my family, my parents, my wife. Um, and that is, I think, we just as a society need to really focus more on civility. And and again, I felt that for the greater part, I, I know we were doing the right thing for our city with what we knew at that time. And so, I, you know, leadership isn't easy and I'm comfortable with that. But but it's just really kind of sad where society is evolving quick, pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I, I've said this a number of times on my show. I think we, we shone a spotlight on things that already existed. This wasn't new. It That's just right. became far more apparent. Uh, I, I think it was a surprise to many. Certainly was to me. I don't think I had quite established the level uh, that this could rise to. Obviously, huge impact. I'm I'm sorry to hear that. And I think, you know, like so many people trying to do the best with the available knowledge, you know, guiding things in, in the best possible way. Do you think we've learned from this experience? And were this to happen again or something similar, do you believe that we've got a better chance? Would you step into the fold again? I mean, it, it, would that be a, an option? So, um, God, it's a great question, right? Do I believe... Um, we've learned how to deal with a pandemic. You know, there was a pandemic playbook written in 04, I believe by the the Bush White House. They did an amazing job from what I understand about it. We didn't learn then. Um, you know, I, I think we, I think, I think we have as a, as a society learned a lot about how the response to pandemic, but also how things that may be problematic. What I worry about for, for our region is there were tools that we had at our disposal public health emergency orders led, that was signed by the chair of public board of health, able to do mask mandates, capacity restrictions, that politics have now stripped us of and, and here in our state. You know, I, I wrote a, a book um, called Hotspot, um, Doctor's um, Diary of the Pandemic. Mainly, one of the reasons I wrote it is so that some of that history remains, because I hope we don't, any of us have to deal with this in our lifetime, but let's say two generations from now, we have something similar to what we just went through. What I hope doesn't happen is some of this, um, of the factual information of what we did um, doesn't get spun and goes out of way. I'm very, I, one thing that gives me hope is I think we've, I just read there's like a huge increase, like a thousand percent of people um, increase in people entering public health education and classes now. 
I think there's the infrastructure and financial infrastructure that's been put in to build public health systems, if it maintains, will help us as a society. And um, I hope that the federal government and states really um, continue to build that data and expertise and communications. I'm just not as hopeful that that actually will happen. Um, so yes, we've learned some stuff. Yes, there's some reasons for hope, but there's also some anxiety I have um, that we haven't learned lessons. And if this happens again in another generation or two, we may be somewhat back to where we are now. Yeah, I, I have to say, I read the, um, uh, the the detailed pandemic book from the uh, earlier flu uh, pandemic and was actually quite shocked at how much we had failed to learn from that experience. Mm -hmm. I imagine there's going to be a lot of study of this experience and some of the learning opportunities um, and hopefully the application and we see this uptick. I hope it's not the short-term memory and, and so forth. We've all been changed by this uh, pandemic. What's changed for you? What, what, what do you think? How are you different now? Yeah, you know, I think for me... Um First of all, I, I am hopeful in, in the, the good that this community has. What gives, personally, I think I'm just more grateful of, of the opportunities I have. And I um, want to continue to push to lead our community and our society to to help the lesser than of us, right? I, I think, pro as you said, problems we had already seen, health disparities being a big one for us. This just highlighted that, lack of civility being one. This, again, highlighted that. I want to be a, somebody who continues to push on these issues to try to bring change to these issues locally, regionally, nationally. Um, and my drive to that is stronger because of this, um, this experience I had. So as you think about all of the learning um, points that you had throughout that experience, what are some of the small things that you think made the biggest difference in terms of positive impact and contribution, you know, putting to one side that, you know, they might even have been wrong because we yeah. didn't know as much. You know, I'll think of airborne, you know, or aerosolized as one of the areas. But what 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 are the small things that you've learned along the way that you'll continue to apply? So I think for me, um, one thing that I think I always tried to tell myself as a surgeon and I told I'll tell myself personally um, when it comes to leadership is don't believe the hype. Um, always keep your humility and, and down to earth and, and listen to everyone. You know, it's the, it's the, um, the whole checklist manifesto of, of how to avoid OR errors is you listen to everyone and empower everyone to speak up. I think we need to be very, um, deliberative in doing that when it comes to this. So that's important. I think, um, we need to uh, pay attention to, um, trends that are happening outside of our borders of, of the United States on a bigger scale. Um, seeing what happens in other countries and learning from them, because again, we're not, uh, you know, th there's there could be some great information learned if if we paid a little bit more attention to what was happening. And again, there's some people in this in this country that do pay attention to um, crisis. So on. And then finally, I think continuing to focus on people when there isn't a crisis around the issues of disparities, around the issues of of preparedness. Um, Let's not just look at the thing when it's shiny and sexy. Let's always pay attention to the foundational things we need to do to keep each other safe and healthy. And, and that's critical for me. 
Yeah, I, I think you know important sort of uh, points around you know the, the the learning opportunities that we can apply. That you know the the shiny object challenge is it's not just a healthcare problem. I mean, it, it's ironic that we're sort of listening to all this innovation, but we still have all of these people that are sitting completely underserved. Um, you know, failing to gain access. We've developed all of this. And I, I've got to be honest, I worry about the persistence of some of the things. We've realized, you know, I, I've taught telehealth for 20 plus years and it was, you know, two years away for the last 10 years, not from a technical standpoint, but from a, you know, political will and, and reimbursement. It's now here, but there's even some talk about pulling back. So I hope we can persist and learn and benefit from, you know, the established uh, details that you've been good enough to set out in, in a book that will, you know, continue to guide, hopefully, and learn from those experiences and obviously the contribution. Unfortunately, as we do each and every week, uh, we've run out of time. So it just remains for me to uh, thank you uh, for joining me on the show. Alex, thanks for joining me. Really a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. 